As you're listening to this episode, let us know if you have any questions for our guest. If so, please send us a message to team at onehaas.org or join our discussion board using our Clever podcast app. You can download the app at clever.fm. Welcome to the One Haas podcast. I'm Chris Kim. Today we have Alejandra Arue Lowe, Berkeley Haas full-time MBA 2022. Alejandra is a solutionist implementing new creative solutions at the intersection of business, social impact, and innovation. Alejandra is also a consortium and forte fellow here at Berkeley Haas. Alejandra, it's great to have you here. Welcome and great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. It's exciting. Yeah. Alejandro, definitely super excited to have you on the show today. Could you start maybe with where you grew up and where did your story begin? Sure. I uh, always have a lot of fun answering this question because it always takes me a minute to think about the answer. Oh, yeah. I'd say I, I call home Guatemala City. I was born in Zona Quince of Guatemala City, and I lived there until I was about nine years old. And I really call that my home because it feels like, I don't know, the, the, I think the one home, physical home that we've, mm. that we've always had. And then we moved to the United States. We moved to New Jersey and I went live there through my middle school and high school years. And yeah, we moved a lot within the area. So again, why I called Guatemala my home. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that, that's sort of where I, where I grew up. Absolutely. And Alejandro, could you talk about what was it like being a young person, having that kind of um, diversity of different experiences? You know, we, we've we had people on the podcast who've like lived in the same town like their entire life or maybe haven't lived abroad or in your case, you know, living in multiple different cultures. Uh, could you explain what that experience was like? And um, did you have any memories that maybe formed who you are today from that experience? The first thing that comes to my mind is the moment, actually the day I took a plane over to Newark, New Jersey, and this was Thanksgiving Day in 2001. So you can imagine right after 9-11, I'm showing up to the United States on a holiday that I've never heard about. And I think what was just shocking about it all is just that it was just on the day that I think people celebrate being home and feeling like family, I was sort of felt like I was leaving mine. I think when I, when you're a kid in that moment, it's, it's sort of astonishing and you're excited and you've seen all these American movies and it's just, it was really exciting, I think, in that moment. I think as an adult, it hit me like, oh my gosh, what a story that on the day of Thanksgiving, again, where you're supposed to be celebrating your home, I was leaving mine. But I don't know, I think just having that moment in my life has just really allowed me to Appreciate, I think, and be incredibly lucky and privileged to have the best of both worlds. I think I miss the how nice people in Guatemala are. I miss the food. I miss the climate. I miss the colors. But at the same time, I came on the on what I think is the best holiday in the United States. You get to celebrate being together. You get to celebrate. I know, of course, there's tough history related to that. It's a complicated holiday, but I can't help but to also recognize the beauty in coming together on a non-dominational holiday. And it doesn't often happen in countries outside of the United States. So there's sort of that beauty, right, of, of opportunity, 
of this American like dream of being in a place that it's so culturally diverse that you can sit in a table with people who look completely different from you. And I, it's such a privilege and such a awesome thing to claim that I can experience and hold dear both of those two cultures and people and experiences together. Yeah, Alejandra, I know you've had an amazing professional and academic experience. You know, did school come easy for you or were you always like super studious and academic? Would love to hear what your younger Alejandra growing up. Yeah, a younger Alejandra, I, I think it depends. I think when I was younger, school certainly felt easy. I just love school. I think, I think that's really the gist. I don't know if it came school easy. I just, I love being with friends. I love being busy. I love like the idea of being surrounded by learning. I was that kid. I was that nerd. I think as I grew up, especially coming to the U.S., that got tougher. And I think the language got tougher. My parents were fairly strict in terms of my grades. And they always, the first thing that they would ensure we would do is be in a good school. So it got tough. <laughs> it certainly got tough. Uh, in high school, I ended up applying and, and getting a scholarship to a private high school that was really, really tough in the area. So I don't know that I, like school came easy to me, but I certainly always enjoyed it. And so because I enjoyed it, I worked really hard. And uh, I think to this day, I really, I think the first thing that got me really excited about this year in particular was sort of returning to the classroom. And I was like, okay, I was like, let me get my notebooks ready and let me go to paper stores and buy new pens. Like I, I love that feeling. And so, yeah, with love, it comes, I guess, hard work. Absolutely. Yeah. And I feel like that's a a lot of commonality with a lot of other folks from Haas or the MBA in general. Yeah, Alejandro, you know, for a lot of us, one of the pivotal points is kind of deciding to go to college or planning to go to college. What was that process like for you? What are some of the memories or, or things that stick out from you from that process? Yeah, it's taking me back a little bit. It's sort of been a while <laughs> since thinking about that moment. I think, again, I, as I mentioned, I sort of by high school was able to attend a, a much more tailored high school that had really amazing college counselors that helped you understand, helped me understand what is that was would be most beneficial to me. And one of the, the college counselors said, hey, like, and at that point, I was really shy. Like, I was a kid who knew the answer, but never raised my hand. And the college counselor said, hey, have you thought about a women's college? And I was like, uh, no, why would I want to go to college with no men? And uh, yeah, I, I think she saw something in me that just, I needed to find that spark of confidence that I think I was missing at the time. And yeah, I, looking at, reflecting on this sort of in the past, my best essays were for Barnard, which is where I ended up going for undergrad. And I realized that they were probably my best essays because it was, because it was probably where I was supposed to go, right? And so, yeah, that journey, I think, of attending a women's college really helped me come out of my shell. It allowed me to be surrounded by really talented, empowering women that I think college isn't just about the brand of the school. It's also about what do you get out of it and how much you're able to grow. And so, yeah, that's just the moment that I think about the how important it was for me to attend Barnard and to go to a women's college, I think. Yeah. I don't know if that really answers your question. No, it does. I, I feel like everyone's journey is, is so different. And yet looking back on it, it's such a unique experience because it's it's almost like 
you have that hindsight, you can tell, oh, like a lot of things like mapped together or a lot of things were super random and they all came together into like uh, individual perspectives or lives. But personally, I've met some amazing people who have either um, been at Barnard or probably really famous uh, alums. Um, for, for folks who are maybe less uh, familiar, could you explain Barnard and where it is and what, what makes Barnard so special versus maybe some other different schools that people might go to? Sure. So uh, Barnard is actually, a, like I mentioned, a women's college. It was sort of back in the day when Columbia University did not accept women. There sort of was a sister school at Barnard at the time. Maybe some people have heard of, I think, Radcliffe for Harvard, sort of very similar structure. Eventually, places like Radcliffe merged with Harvard, and so you only have Harvard today. Barnard, however, did not and, and stood and, and kept itself separately to really focus on women, education, and empowerment. And so it's a small liberal arts college in New York City, still affiliated with Columbia. And so that, <laughs> when I mentioned earlier, you know, my fear of, of attending a women's college actually was quelled because I was across the street from a much larger university, COVID university. And yeah, I actually met my my current fiance at Columbia. So it all worked out. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, yeah, but I think, I don't know if this is a how this works, but I think another thing that I thought about, Chris, when you, when you said around sort of my, my college story and, and going back to that moment, I think mm -mm. I my parents didn't know what it was like to go to higher education in the United States. You know, they were very much used to hey, you go to university, you sign your name and you go. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so the whole kind of exploration application phase was, they supported me the best way that they knew how, but I think it was just a little bit different than maybe what some of my peers at the moment were experiencing. And so, yeah, it was an interesting application journey, but second time around applying to Haas when that sort of process came around. I actually helped a, a few of my classmates apply to FAFSA and financial aid. And I was like, oh, I got this. I've done this. <laughs> um, and so it was a lesson and, and, and a growth experience. But yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I know you were talking about Alejandra, you know, the in terms of schools, you know, you you're very intentional and kind of ended up picking bar like even applying to Barnard and then getting in what was the experience after you got on campus was it was it exciting or was it I know for Hasis they come to Haas there's one expectation when you uh, before you go and then you get in and then you start going um, and can be different or the same what was that experience like for you I think I was just going in there not having any expectations my my older brother what at the time had just graduated from Cornell, but he went to a very specific school. He went to the hotel school. So his experience was just very particular. And so I didn't feel like I really had the model college experience. And so when I showed up to campus, I had no idea. I was just like, I'm a kid who like has no idea what this is all about. Let's go. And so I think there's the... I'm sure I, in that moment, I had to, the vision of what you see on TV and the parties and the, all of that stuff. But I think I was just really like looking forward to being independent, to, to being uh, intellectually stimulated, to having really good ad hoc conversations with folks in the hallway or professors. I certainly wanted to see what was it like to just be surrounded by education all the time. <laughs> 
So that, I don't know. Besides that, like my expectations were sort of limited in terms of what I knew was possible. So that's what I remember. After being uh, at Barnard for a couple of years, you decided to graduate. You well, you graduated and then um, decided to go uh, into your life post-school. What did you decide to do and how did you, um, what was that path like for you? So Barnard and in this case, Columbia are actually quite known for their anthropology and their sort of human rights institutes. And so I took some really amazing courses around that. And of course, a lot of my peers were sort of always thinking about justice and quality. And I certainly was, and I still am, but was looking at sort of doing that work from a legal or from a policy perspective. And was, you know, in my mind, I thought I was going to become a humanitarian lawyer. And I was really thinking about what will my sort of next two years after I graduation, what will that look like? And what kind of skills and experiences I want to gain in order to get there? And I, through my conversations, met a number of Teach for America alums and fellows, current members, and I just was in awe of the work. I was humble about what they did. I also knew that I could help, right, and and sort of use my really young spirit and energy to do something good for the world. And so I ended up deciding, hey, you know, let me do Teach for America. Let me apply and, and, and do Teach for America for for a few years, gain a lot of skills, see what, how I can directly help communities and be exposed to that and really absorb because you can't really, in my opinion, it's much harder to help and, and solve and do social impact without understanding the realities in the day to day. So yeah, I ended up moving halfway across the country to Texas and spending two years doing Teach for America as a fourth and fifth grade bilingual teacher for some really amazing students. I know some folks may be familiar. Could you maybe explain a bit how the what the Teach for America program is and how like typically like college students, right, or college grads get involved in Teach for America? Sure. So it's a national program that the intent is to sort of recruit uh, really energized undergraduates generally to work as school teachers, both in public and charter schools helping and supporting marginalized communities. And so usually you're placed in schools that have a a huge teacher shortage, usually placed in communities that are low income. And so you get placed in those communities around the United States and uh, you get some training and (laughs) then you're put in a classroom and you try your very best to help these kids, to connect with these kids and try to make a difference. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Want to say thank you for your service in that way, Alejandra. I know, you know, talking with other Hasis who are former teachers, it's definitely not an easy path. <laughs> I think you probably have a ton of war stories. Would love to maybe understand as you're going through that process, you ended up switching careers. What was your thinking as you were kind of super energized about making an impact, and then you became a Teach for America teacher? You did it, and then you ended up making a career change. You know, what was that? What was that experience like? And what were you thinking as you were going through that process? I was working a lot <laughs> mm. in, those, in those years, really trying to connect with my students, probably the hardest I've ever worked in my life. And I think what I realized that the reason I was working so hard is just because there's so many administrative challenges that, and sort of standard practices that are embedded in public education that make it so that teachers are spending such a significant amount of their time focusing on other topics and projects and requirements that have nothing to do with the teaching of students. 
And so I love teaching. I like, I think about some of the things I love about teaching, the facilitation, the interaction, the what I call now workshop, right? Like I love that stuff. But I was, I realized I wasn't spending my time doing that. I was spending my time preparing for standardized testing and, and, and having difficult conversations with principals. And I realized that I, as much as I could be helpful being a teacher, I had better ideas for how to change workforce compositions or for how to drive better organizational change or how to upskill teachers and, and help them be more successful in the classroom. And I just had all these ideas um, about how to change from a systems perspective and mm -hmm. realized that I can make better impact by doing that type of work. And between my first and second year, I was also doing some policy work at the Department of Education and the my boss at the time for the summer, she had been a former consultant. And then just having those conversations about how I think I could solve public education, some of the gaps in, in the system, she recommended that I, I think about consulting, that I thought about sort of spending some time really building my skills as a leader, as a thought provoker, and spending some years then building up my skills and then seeing where that would take me. And so I certainly agreed with her that it was the right direction. And yeah, that's, that's where kind of that road took me to consulting, specifically working within the human capital sphere and thinking a lot about organizational and workforce transformation. So that's how I landed there. That's awesome. Yeah, Alejandra, I know a lot of MBAs are, are hoping to get into uh, consulting, you know, post-grad. I know probably a lot of people have their fingers crossed or for their internships for the summer, or maybe they've already had their offers to getting ready to go back. Could you explain what was it like going from, you know, being a teacher and then being a, in a consultant at a, at a major consulting firm? What was that like? Uh, really different. I was used to kind of report. I, I always said my students were my bosses. Like I, I was reporting to students. And then I switched to reporting to much more buttoned up partners in a firm. So who I felt responsible for, I think, drastically changed. I think the other piece that really drastically changed for me is just why I was doing the work. I think in TFA, I was very much focused on how can I support disenfranchised communities. I think in consulting, my biggest sort of aspiration was I want to get really good at some, some very tactical skills. I want to learn a ton about, you know, how large organizations function. And so it was just a really different experience around um, and sort of my focus and why I was there. No, absolutely. You know, what was it like being in um, the firm that you went to as a global, you know, consulting company? So huge. What was that like going from being at maybe a local school to now working for a truly global international consulting company? It really allowed me to sort of step, take a step back and notice how complex the world can be. I think the other piece, though, that that to me, I, I really enjoyed. I had a, a number of teams that were global, certainly worked a lot with folks in India. I actually had a project where I was traveling to Toronto every week. So oh, wow. I was with some Canadian friends. And yeah, it was just really nice to also just see how different parts of the world understand work, focus on work. Even though we were working and consulting for in Canada, our Canadian peers, you know, after a certain time, they're like, okay, it's time to go home and it's time to take care of our families. And I think for sometimes here in the U.S. that 
that sort of delineation and work-life balances looks a little bit different. And so I certainly appreciate it. And I think I learned a lot from how, how can I create a more sustainable work-life balance for myself from peers who are not in the U.S. So I'm just learning and a ton of fun travel and getting to see the complexities of the world. Yeah, I get this question a lot, especially from folks that might be hoping to go to like a, a huge consulting company like you did. Why go back to the MBA? Could you share a little bit of even after kind of reaching what is for a lot of people that maybe the pipe dream, you know, or the dream far out there? Like what made you want to go to business school? And how did that exploration process begin as you were thinking about getting an MBA? I think of two things immediately. Maybe I'll think of a third you know, consultants think in three, so it's kind Keep of it <laughs> <laughs> um, The first thing I told you a little bit about my background, I was very focused in the social sciences and, and the systems thinking. And I think that is certainly where I get a lot of my intellectual energy. And, and I love thinking that way, but I also recognize sort of the gaps in my quantitative and more logical, I guess, thinking. And I really, you know, going back to my my journey as my origin story is like I've always been a huge nerd and I didn't want to to leave not having really tactical, like quantitative skills that could propel me to any leadership position, right, that I wanted to go to. And so I knew that I wanted to get like just really core skills that I think the business degree offers and really balance that out a little bit more. And then... I think a little bit of it was pride, I guess. And I really wanted to sort of be the first person in my family to go to have a graduate degree in the U.S. That that was just really like, I don't know, I guess a dream I've always had. And I thought that would be really just a great accomplishment. And I think on the personal side, I recognize that sort of, especially an MBA, right? It's sort of two years to, it was a moment to really grow as a person and grow as a more confident individual, to grow as a more empathetic individual, to grow in or and be able to tell my story more concisely. And I just, I think that some, some of the more quote unquote soft skills is something that I think wanting to continue developing my, my soft skills is also something I, I think I, I wanted to spend doing. If, and if it's not now, then when? Yeah, absolutely. How did you go through the process of picking schools or programs, Alejandra? And do you use any resources or, or things to help you um, in that process? Yeah, I think what sort of a huge perk of, of being in, in a big firm, like a consulting firm or others, there's sort of this very systematic and support system for applying for business school. It is very much welcomed and encouraged to think about and so when the, those around me had gone to business school or, or thought about business school, this sort of was just a much easier transition for me uh, to just start thinking about it. So that was really helpful, kind of having an employer that, that encouraged that. And then, you know, I think has finding just some other programs like, like the consortium that really helped guide you through the process, I think, is something that I, I took advantage of and it certainly helped me in my journey. We're lucky to have you as one of our consortium fellows. Could you explain uh, a bit of what that program is and how that works tangibly for folks who are, are going to the MBA program? The GIST is uh, sort of this group that's trying to promote and increase the number of underrepresented minorities in business. And there are 
a number of liaison MBA programs, obviously Berkeley being one of them, that are, are part of the program. And it's associated with career opportunities, financial, and in some cases, scholarships. What was your experience like being, once you got to campus, you ended up either super involved or super representative. You, like we mentioned, you're a consortium fellow. If I understand it as well, you're also a Forte fellow, which is a bit of a big deal uh, to be both as well. And, you know, you kind of have been doing a ton of stuff both on campus and and professionally. Could you explain what that experience was like actually finally realizing you're going to come to Haas and, and then getting to campus and hitting the ground running? What was that experience like? Really wild. <laughs> I think Berkeley was certainly my dream school. And then obviously getting that through the consortium was just unbelievable in awe. And I think about just how much privileged and, and luck and yes, hard work, but a lot of sort of things falling in, in the right place. And what was that like? I don't know. Amazing. <laughs> For me, my first day of school was over Zoom. But even just that moment of saying, oh my gosh, I made it here was just uh, unbelievable. And I think my first year was different than I think many folks who've gone to MBA, what that's been like. It was a pandemic and uh, a lot of things were challenging at the moment. But uh, I I find sort of a, a niche group within the consortium. I think there's about, I think in my class or about 60 fellows and and then within that there's sort of a subset of us who are both consortium and forte and uh creative sort of even like an informal virtual group um, that we would meet often and i don't know i I think i I was able to find some really awesome friends in the consortium i enjoyed it so much that i actually ran to be a co-liaison and now my term ended but last year was a a co-liaison with my other two very who are no my very good friends now. And so that was just, what what a privileged, what an awesome experience. It's good to hear. And could you um, share a bit about some of the, I know you did uh, maybe a couple other things outside of school, you know, work and, and internships. What was that process like for you? I know that's uh, typically a, a big thing for folks who come to the MBA program, right? It's how do you get involved? How do you move forward professionally and, and academically and professionally? Sure. I, I think the thing that, that comes to my mind is sort of really Significant, and at least my time here at Haas is working on on trying, attempting to be an entrepreneur. Like I somehow had this inkling that that's something I wanted to try while at Haas, and ended up doing the the course Lean Launchpad and built a uh, small business. I would I don't know that it's a startup, it's a small business with three other of my classmates, or one of them is now an alumni. We built Unfolds, and it, it's sort of a um, direct-to-consumer sort of apparel brand that works with emerging artists directly. And a huge focus for us was sort of equitable pay in, in the process and manufacturing. And I just had such an incredible time and learned a ton about what it's like to start a new business, how to understand consumer needs, how to work collaboratively to, to, to build something like this. and. I think all of, I certainly realized that I, I didn't want to be an entrepreneur, but the fact that I was able to explore that, I think, is, is really formative. And I am also really, really thankful to have found an opportunity that married my interest in business, my interest in the arts and design, and then worked together with some really awesome people. 
Alejandro, I know people come out of the MBA program in terms of different types of passions. And, and for me, specifically, podcasting has been a huge one that I'm hoping to do post-MBA. You know, do you have, do you have any other passions that you're hoping to continue post-MBA that you might be taking with you from the program? Sure. So I think there's sort of two things and I'm trying to find sort of whether it's my full-time job or, or something else I do on the side, but there's sort of two things. I realized one, I, I love to innovate. Like I love to think of new ideas. I love to solve new problems and find solutions. I think I get very much energized in, in the whiteboarding and the facilitation side of problem solving. And then I miss sort of my years in, in Teach for America and I, I really miss working with communities with students with feeling like every day I am helping to make the world a, a little bit better place. So mm. that's also really energizing. And so I'm really trying to explore and balance that, right? Like with, with sort of my personal goals as well of, of what does that look like? And if that moment when I was a teacher felt really energizing, where could I go next where I also feel that level of energy and passion for what I do every day? Yeah, absolutely. Alejandra, I know you've had a unique experience of, of navigating the pandemic as part of your MBA process, right? Um, how does that look like for you now? We were sharing before we were recording, both of us are, are looking towards uh, graduation. So hopefully, not, you know, knock on wood, nothing, nothing happens and we can just graduate normally. The world's been ever changing, you know, the past couple of years, you know, what, what do you do today? And how, how do you reflect on that time? And now that you're coming you know, closer to the end of, of the program and, and going to be leaving, you know, Berkeley sometime soon? I think what comes to my mind is, is focusing and, and being really intentional on everything that I do, on trying to be really present and something as little as taking my lunch break without having to have a laptop in front of my eyes, I think is, I think something I want to focus on. And hanging out with friends. And when I hug somebody, it's, man, like this could be taken away from us at any moment. And just being more intentional around what I do day to day and, and who I and how I interact with people, I think, because again, as we've all learned, everything can just be taken away at any moment. So we never know. Yeah. It's been great to have you in, in conversation to hear your story and share a bit. Before we end the podcast, we typically have a lightning round, uh, you know, just some fun, hopefully not controversial, but sometimes controversial questions. Would love to go through it with you and, and uh, before we end our podcast today. Well, we'll start with our, our number one question, maybe spark some debates here. First question, what was your favorite place or what is your favorite place to eat in Berkeley? I have really enjoyed... I don't know if this is eat or eat. You said eat. You can choose favorite place to, to eat or hang out in Berkeley. Favorite place to hang out is Fieldworks Brewery because it's close to my house and the beer is amazing. <laughs> it's a good call. Absolutely. Uh, talking about uh, memories, you know, what's a, a favorite or a lasting memory that you have from the MBA program? Houseboats, my first year. That was, I will leave it at that. So fun. Yeah, for those who don't know, we won't go into detail, but look it up when you can, houseboats. <laughs> uh, number three, what's uh, one piece of advice that you'd give to someone else, either personal or professional? Hug whoever you are hugging intentionally, I think. I always, yeah, I'll leave it at that as well. Absolutely. And our last one, what's one thing that gets you excited about the future? One thing that gets me excited is just, I think seeing the continuation of younger, including our gener my generation, our generation, uh, and future generations being more 
empathetic towards the environment and towards each other, hopefully, and seeing some of those, that movement, I think that's certainly the kind of world I, I want to live in. So I don't know. That's how to answer that. Alejandra, it's been great to have you on the show today and uh, wish you all the best in the future. Cool. Take care. Thank you. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of the One Haas Podcast. If you enjoyed our show today, please remember to hit that subscribe or follow button on your favorite podcast player. We'd also really appreciate you giving us a five-star rating and review. If you're looking for more content, please check out our website at haas.fm. That's spelled H-A-A-S dot F-M. There you can subscribe to our monthly newsletter and check out some of our other Berkeley Haas podcasts. And until next time, go Bears. <laughs>